0: You're listening to The Felony Inc. Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. In America, we live in a society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth. And the current cost of mass incarceration via the prison industrial complex is incalculable. So anything that can be done to help curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable. That's what we attempt to do, one show at a time, and one guest at a time. Each week, we interview felons and non-felons attempting to make the world a better place for those currently incarcerated, families, and communities affected by the big business of prison. Felony Inc. Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time.
1: Hey, welcome to another edition of Felony Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Dick Hennessy. As always, joined by my co-host with the most, Meg Thibodeau. Meg, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good, Dick. I'm hanging in. It is a pretty kind of overcast, chilly little day here in Portland, Oregon. I feel fall coming around and I kind of like it. It's horror film season.
1: A perfect, iconic Halloween <laughs> season in Portland, Oregon. And definitely horror film season, for sure.
2: One of my favorites.
1: <laughs> I think it's our, all our favorites. <laughs> um, you know, as as I'd like to do sometimes when we can do it, I'd like to start the show with a little good news. Um, recently, this week, as was reported, uh, Fair Wayne Bryant, which some of you guys might remember, was serving a life sentence for stealing a pair of hedge clippers. And he was serving that sentence in Angola. He was just granted parole. So Yeah. That's uh, that's good to hear. That was, I mean, what's messed up about it is it's good news, but it's at the same time it just highlights a lot of really bad news, which is the fact that he was serving a life sentence in the first place for such an arbitrary thing. Um, but
2: and his life is completely and forever changed by the justice system. but that, he's free of it now. Hopefully, you know his story will be inspiring for people to make change.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely the silver lining in this whole thing is that it's just so outlandish that it can't help but to motivate people to kind of press to just take away some of these ridiculous laws and sentencing and what have you. Um, Today, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to this guest today. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research on her. Uh, Everything she's doing is amazing. Um, Of course, I'm talking about Sherry Garcia, the founder of Cornbread Hustle. The website is cornbreadhustle.com. For you guys who are wondering what Cornbread Hustle is, it is a staffing agency for second chances and it helps people coming out of prison and people in recovery find meaningful employment. Sherry, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Thanks for being on the show. Um, Sherry, uh, your first time on the show, typically how we do it to kind of get to know you a little bit is if you could kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing, uh, what kind of led you on the path that put you in the position that you're in right now, if that's cool.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times when somebody has an organization like this, they talk about their upbringing being in a poor neighborhood with a toxic family. That is not my story. I was actually the girl next door. I was on the cheerleading team, the pitcher of the softball team. I was even the news anchor for our school news. I took a really, really wrong turn and decided to try meth, which is also known as ice, a drug that promised me I would lose weight. And that promise came true. I did lose weight really rapidly. Um lost weight and lost my spot on the cheerleading team and on the softball team. And I didn't care at the time to be honest with you because I was addicted. And one of the major signs of someone being addicted to something is losing interest in things they once loved. And so I, at that time, really didn't even care that I lost those things. In fact, I was happy that I had more time to do drugs. I ended up somehow um, graduating high school. I say somehow, I know how I did it. I had to do community service all summer because I actually didn't have bad grades because of doing the drugs, I was up all night doing, I was even charging people money to write their research papers in uh, from English class. So I did not have a problem with getting my work done. I had a problem with showing up to school. So I ended up having to do community service over the summer. And I finally, to be honest with you guys, I did not go to rehab. I didn't do a 12 step program. I ended up just deciding that, Life was not supposed to turn out the way that it was. I had been arrested several times for smaller crimes. Not, I never got arrested for possession, but for theft or DWI just or not paying my warrants. And I just decided enough was enough. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. The drug wasn't doing what it promised anymore, which was making me skinny and be productive. I was skinny, but I was no longer productive. And so I quit. And I ended up saying, okay, what did I love? I loved cheerleading. I loved the newsroom. So I got back into teaching gymnastics and I went crazy after my goal to become a news reporter and get into journalism Skipped the whole college thing. I felt like I kind of missed the boat on that. Looking back, I didn't. I could still go back to college today. But in my mind at the time, I knew college was not grounds for somebody like me. I probably would have killed myself or killed others with massive amounts of drinking and drug use and drug dealing. So I skipped that whole route and I figured out a way to get myself a job in the newsroom. And after working in the newsroom, I ended up pursuing some entrepreneurial passions and became quite successful at it and thought, you know what, maybe there's other people who did get caught for drug dealing, unlike me, or did get caught with drugs and are in prison. And perhaps their entrepreneurial ability to go after their dreams after their back was against the wall would be something I'd be interested in. So I started volunteering for the prison entrepreneurship program. The men and women started getting out of prison and we're like, what's next? And I was like, well, probably not starting your business since you only have 50 bucks and a bus ticket. So let's reverse engineer your overall goals and start with the job. And so I started placing people in jobs and I thought to myself, okay, that's great. Now I worked myself out of a job. So I need to figure out a way to monetize this. A nonprofit wasn't for me because I'm good at entrepreneurship. So I said, how, how am I going to do that? And I started Googling how to start a staffing agency. And here I am with a staffing agency for second chances.
1: It's just a, it's a wild story, honestly, (laughs) because in my opinion, uh, as we know, 40% of business owners hire felons, which means 60% of business owners do not hire felons. And typically when you're getting out of prison and you have a felony, the last thing you're thinking is people are going to hire you. You know, there's that box that they're slowly starting to kind of get rid of and stuff like that. But still, even without the box, if you do a background check on anyone, you can find out like that. That they're a felon. And it's a red flag in a lot of cases. And most places really are not too uh, adamant about hiring felons. Um, how do we switch the narrative up on that?
3: Well, it seems like it's already being done. I'm noticing a lot more um, talks on prison reform. We had the first step back to get signed. And I mean, to be honest with you guys, we have so many leads that we can't keep up with them right now. So there is a major shift happening. All my leads are coming through my LinkedIn profile page, which is where I do a lot of vulnerable story sharing. So maybe maybe it is because I'm doing such a great job marketing our business. But I'd like to believe that society as a whole is figuring out that there is this major untapped talent. Coronavirus And the unemployment rate being the lowest that it's ever been, those two things put together, I think, made HR people really think, hmm, we don't have a choice here. Rather, it was because we had the coronavirus and so many people were on unemployment that they needed to find people who weren't eligible for unemployment. Or before coronavirus, we actually had – the lowest unemployment rate ever. So, you know, companies had to look into people who might have a criminal background. One in four people have a criminal background, that's a lot. And 95% of all inmates will at some point be released from prison. So it only makes sense to do second chance hiring it is, of course, a risk for somebody who's not used to working with people coming out of prison or I can see how it can be kind of scary or perceived as risky to hire somebody with violent charges. But we, we have seen nothing but the opposite when it comes to hiring people with the more aggressive charges versus the nonviolent drug charges. That's one thing that I would say I wouldn't say that the government is getting wrong and I don't even want to say the government. I'm I just see when you know we we see these politicians talking about prison reform and they're talking about the nonviolent offenders. It's it's not just the nonviolent offenders that make really great second chance hires. And in fact, for us, if I were to pull up all of our data I can almost guarantee you that our nonviolent offenders probably have higher
2: turnover than our violent charges.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's an
2: interesting observation. Yeah. I don't know that I would have expected that either. I don't know that I wouldn't have expected it, but that's curious. Yeah. I mean, we do think, but yeah, perhaps people with violent offenses have, uh, reached another kind of bottom where they've Mm -hmm. become you know really 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 ready to do things differently
3: you got it you hit the nail on the head a lot of times so I have I do have several people who are convicted for murder that work for me directly and indirectly and every single time they have actually made my best employees and the reason for that is Usually when somebody's out walking the streets and they're on parole for a murder charge, it's because it happened a very long time ago, number one. And number two, after spent, usually it's like 20 years that this individual has spent in prison. And if they're out and ready to work, that means let's say they're in they're like 35 years old. So reverse engineer the math on that. How old were they when they went into prison? not even 20 years old. So usually it was some kind of gang activity or um, getting into a bar fight and just losing, being drunk, losing temper, doing an act that you really can't take back. And um, I'll just, I'll tell you guys, I'm not saying, Hey, go, go find yourself some people who killed others, but I'm, I'm just giving an example on, you know, background charges can look really scary on black and white on paper, but it's not, it's not always the case that those are going to be the more scary ones. It's just how we perceive things and how we see crimes and how we see certain sins being worse than others when really in God's eyes, all sins are
2: equal. I would, you know, even say that I would go as far as to assume that most people in jail for murder charges are not, quote unquote, murderers. You know, you think about what it means to murder. And the Mm -hmm. first thing that comes to mind is some kind of a serial killer scenario. And that's just not actually what happens. You know, we live in a, in a society where lots of kids are growing up in violent environments and there's peer pressure and there's drugs and there's a lot of kill or be killed situations that Mm -hmm. folks get in where one's dead and one's in prison. Mm -hmm. And it's not because anyone set out to kill someone that day for fun. You know, it's actually incredibly harrowing and traumatic on both sides of, of that situation. So uh, That's amazing. That's a really, really interesting um, point you've brought up. Thank you for that.
3: You're absolutely right. There's so many different scenarios where we can look on paper and say, ooh, that's a bad person, right? And at Cornbread Hustle, we don't believe that anybody's a good or bad person. Um, If I was comparing good or bad, I I would say that most my employees have bigger and better hearts than I do. And they just Unfortunately, you're standing behind a a big X saying, don't hire me or I'm dangerous or here's my charge. One example, I overheard a recruiter on the phone the other day and the interviewer, the interviewee was so shameful and said very reluctantly that her charge was child abandonment because she had a kid and left the baby in a jack-in-the-box. And she, you could tell she was like ready for the backlash or for the judgment. But my recruiter said, wow, I can only imagine what was going on in your life to put you in a situation that made you feel that that was the best option for your baby. Right? That's how our recruiter responded to her. No mother, I don't care how terrible of a person you may have acted out to be, but no mother wants to dump their own child off somewhere. There's a lot of times where moms are in situations where they truly believe that they have no self-worth and that baby would be better off if a middle class or upper class white woman found the baby and took it in. Right. So sometimes we look at people and judge them for their behavior or something they did because it seems so terrible and seems like such like child endangerment. And it is when really you don't know what was going through their head. Maybe they were on crack and couldn't get off and didn't know where to turn and just felt like I can't give this baby a life. Or, or was poor, you know, completely poor, and felt like that they couldn't provide. Everybody has a story behind what they did and why they did it. And sure, there are plenty of crimes out there and plenty of people who have done bad things. And they're not sorry for it. And they don't need a second chance. And they are a danger to society. We do have those people as well. But it's just a sad thing to think about turning away all felons because of the few that aren't ready for that second chance.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I you know, so many, so many factors with stuff like that too. You know, in terms of like mental illness, anxiety, things like that as well. So it's it's so much more of a complicated spectrum than people really take uh, in consideration.
2: Um, Wildly complicated, and yeah. one in four per- people have a criminal background. So there's this is this is common what would be great and it's stories like these that I think are really helpful to put out there because at the core of this issue is us learning to look a little deeper we're so inundated with information and options and needing to make judgment calls that People make snap decisions all the time about who they're going to you know, choose and who they're going to reject. And to be able to develop as a human being who gives more thought to their decisions about other people is going to make us all better. And, it, and people that have been in prison, they've been sitting there with all of this time on their hands to actually think about who they want to be, right? And they have to overcome the obstacle of... Of, um, of stigma. And it actually kind of makes people more thoughtful people. I mean, there mm-hmm. are many, many people coming out of prison that are going to be more thoughtful, more respectful, more driven, more uh, dedicated to doing a good job and being a good citizen than people who have never had that experience.
3: Yes. These, uh, the, my, my employees who have spent 10 or more years in prison, I feel like they're like such wise wizards. I just <laughs> love their insights on life. I mean, having a conversation with one of my employees who just got out of prison after 20 years, I just can't wait to see them sit down and use Google and Facebook because I want to see. <laughs> and I want the things that they say, their perspective on life. And I remember one time um, I asked one of my employees, I said, what's the craziest thing about the free world you were locked up for 20 years what what is the biggest difference that you see out in the world since you went since before you went to prison and without even thinking twice he said people are addicted to those phones I can't believe that I came out to a bunch of people looking down all day and I was like wow
2: Exactly. That's so right. true
3: like what a difference Like he didn't see it just escalate slowly like we did He went into prison when nobody had a cell phone And came out and was like what the heck People are addicted to these things
1: Yeah I've been hearing about that a lot I remember a story of a guy that did 20 years And got out like in the mid 80s And he was saw automatic windshield wipers And it blew his mind
0: so <laughs>
1: I can only imagine, like now, like that's, I've heard that over and over again. People that have done time before the smart, you know, got out after smartphones and are just in the airport, like, what is going on? Everyone's like bumping into stuff, looking at their, like, just sucked in their phones. It has to be terrifying, honestly, I would imagine.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, very it's like the zombie apocalypse. We're living it. Yeah. We're the zombies. <laughs> yeah. With
1: coronavirus. <laughs> Now, speaking of coronavirus, uh, what is the Cornbread Hustle COVID-19 response team? What's that all about?
3: Yeah, so we, we, I freaked out and thought that we were going to lose all our jobs when coronavirus happened. Um, it was before everyone started buying out all the toilet paper. But I just had a feeling that it was going to get out of control. And one of, actually, I didn't have the feeling. One of my business partners was like buying up beans and rice and I was making fun of them. And then he finally scared me enough to where I was like, okay, well, maybe something is going to happen. So I decided to figure out how to disinfect and how, how to look into EPA registered disinfectant and what kind of hazmat gear to buy and electrostatic machines and how to use a luminometer to detect the bacteria. Like I learned, I was like a mini scientist for a few weeks just so I could learn how to disinfect workplaces because at this time I was only a year sober. I was just coming up on one year sober and I was like, this is not happening. I am not about to lose. Like I was barely just getting at break even in our company. And I just, I I already have the disease of alcoholism. I wasn't going to let a virus take me out. It just wasn't going to happen. So I got all of my employees in hazmat suits and I said, let's go. We got to clean bathrooms. We got to do what we got to do. Turns out it ended up bringing us even more business than we could imagine for our core business because HR people are like, okay, these people aren't playing around. They want to work while everyone else is on unemployment and quarantine. These people refuse to stay at home and they're out working and doing what they have to do to pay the bills. And once all the unemployment started happening, it was interesting. We started getting calls out the wazoo because employers were like, had no choice and people getting out of prison, prison aren't eligible for unemployment. Because they haven't had a job. So it really worked out for us. We went from man, I, I feel even crazy telling you guys the numbers because I'm like, I don't even believe myself. But How we, nice. yeah, we we're now a multi-million dollar company and we wow. weren't before coronavirus. So virtual high
2: fives. Thank yeah. you.
3: Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Our
3: coronavirus, our COVID response team, the first month we generated $100,000 just from spraying, killing coronavirus. So what it did was give us the cushion to really invest the resources that we needed to help our employees succeed in their jobs. I was struggling for the past four years because since I was running this company check to check and barely keeping my own head above water and having to do PR gigs on the side. I wasn't able to have an idea for community and deploy it because I didn't even have the money to buy everyone pizza. So I was finding myself getting in a place where I wasn't able to create the community engagement, mental health awareness and addiction help that I wanted because I didn't, I didn't have the money. But the coronavirus response team, what it did was help bring in some money to give us a cushion. And then it also brought us so much PR that all these HR people were reaching out to me, wanting to hire people who work as hard as we do. And uh, it just turned out that my staffing agency, the core business, grew so much because of the pivot.
1: Man. And that's the thing, you know, right now and when situations like this happen, it is the people that make those adjustments that and find those niches that really are able to capitalize and benefit and uh, make things better, you know, all around. Um, Congratulations on that. And that's massive. Um, I mean, speaking of pivots and stuff like that, what is I was looking to kind of uh, I mean, I have so many questions to ask, but. There's you're hiring for a lot of different positions on the website, uh, one of which is a hope dealer. I thought that was really interesting. What what exactly is a hope dealer?
3: Well, we we just feel like instead of dealing dope, we're dealing out hope. Um, so it's just the recruiter position. I did learn that that name is trademarked. And I was like, oops, I better stop using it but um, nobody's got mad at us or anything. I think another company that does empowerment for people who have fallen on hard times, I think they may call themselves hope dealers too. So I accidentally copied, I think. Um, But yeah, we just, we call ourselves hope dealers because that is what we do. We deal out hope. That's all we are here at cornbread hustle is we try to give hope for people to transform their lives through entrepreneurship or employment and we're just here to be your biggest cheerleader. And if everybody can earn a living along the way, then
2: that just makes it that much sweeter.
1: Absolutely. And it look really cool on a business card too. You know, Help dealer.
2: Yeah. Where are you guys located? We haven't said that out loud yet. <clears throat> yeah, we're, we're in Dallas and we have inquiries.
3: All of our companies that hire from us are actually national billion dollar companies but we haven't expanded yet because we just want to make sure that we're doing it right here and that we're able to scale but we definitely don't have a shortage of clients coming in and um i'm just not ready y'all i'm not ready to get out of texas just yet we have placed some people here and there for some direct hires in other states And I think we're about to start moving our way into Houston. But when it comes to our big jobs, like right now, we have a client that has almost 100 people at that one facility. And so I just wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I had facilities all over the United States with 100 or more employees and I don't have boots on the ground. So we just want to make sure that we scale right. We have all the opportunities and we have the ideas and the vision it's just with this kind of job it's about hiring the right hope dealers it really really is because if you guys can imagine the breeding ground for trouble that this could be if the wrong person was in a seat here yeah i just don't want to picture what could happen um with a hiring Hiring the wrong people for these positions could be detrimental to our brand and our reputation. So that's why we don't franchise. That's why we don't partner with other staffing agencies and let them borrow our name. Because we know that every single employee here in the office deeply, deeply cares about second chances. And we've had radical transformation from the inside out.
1: I saw on your website that uh, you're also staffing in New York and a couple other places, is that correct?
3: So yes, those are direct hires. Those are companies that are paying us a percentage of the annual salary, and it is a three-month guarantee. So for example, somebody I think one of those New York positions is for six figures, so that's a really good commission that we make on that. Those I'm not so much afraid to place for in other states. It's more of the entry level. Hey, we want a hundred employees from you. Can you hire them for us? Cause there's more turnaround. There's daily. Hey, I'm, you know, I can't come to work because of this or that. So it's the temp to hire that we don't really want to do out of the state, but the direct hires, which are the more mid to upper level, Positions, we're able to do that because it's not as much hand-holding and managing.
1: Makes sense.
2: So it's time for us to pay a few bills. And so we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll come right back.
0: This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com.
1: All right, and we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Sherry Garcia, founder of Cornbread Hustle. The website's Cornbread Hustle. You know, and uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, business, you know, one of the things I think that's brilliant about Cornbread Hustle is a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of people that are in prison, myself included, uh, I'm sure Meg probably fills me on this, (laughs) almost like you're a racehorse, you know, at the starting gate. And then when you get out, you have an insatiable, ridiculous work ethic. um, And you just, I mean, I know that's how I, I I mean, it's something about prison that kind of builds that mentality that makes you want to work harder than you've ever worked before in your life. And Is it appreciate- because
2: we're trying to prove to people that we're actually like good people? I mean there's a little of that in there maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like I feel like I've I've been I'm not, I'm over it now to some extent, but in the beginning, especially I wanted everyone to see that I actually wasn't some kind of a criminal or, you know, a, t- just a ne'er do well.
3: <laughs> That's hey. how it worked for me. So for me personally, in my experience and I didn't spend time in prison, I got arrested a whole bunch, but I never spent time in prison. That's why I created cornbread hustle because I when people talk about white privilege and Black Lives Matter, I understand it a lot. Like that's that's why I created the whole the company, because I was like, you know what, if I would have been caught driving around with all that meth at any time, I would have had five to ninety nine in prison. So for me, it was it was to the whole idea of hustle till your haters ask if you're hiring. I was all about trying to prove everyone wrong, but it was mainly like my own family members. I wanted them to see that I wasn't this big piece of crap and that I was smart and awesome. And I mean, that's what eventually led me to becoming an alcoholic and having to get into recovery again and struggling so badly with all this depression and mental health issues is because I got off meth and went straight to proving people wrong. And that's a big issue that I see happening with people coming out of prison. They go straight from I'm out of prison. I'm free. Now let me show the world how great I am. And that's exactly how it happened for me, even though I didn't spend time in prison. And so that's what we're trying to do at Cornbread Hustle is be that mental health awareness culture where we have vulnerability and transparency and empowerment to where people can become the best versions of themselves while seeking meaningful employment and entrepreneurship, finding themselves and finding the career of their dreams instead of finding the career of of their dreams and losing themselves like I did. So that is one thing is people come out and they want to prove people wrong, which is why they have good work ethic and work really hard. The other reason would be, especially for our longer term violent crimes, they're on parole for the rest of their life and they really want to stay out of trouble and um, not get in trouble and go to prison for the rest of their lives. And they're just every breath of air outside of those prison walls is so nice to them. Like you can put them in a, in a dump field working 20 hours a day for $10 an hour. And they're so happy because it's better than spending 20 years in prison. So there's different reasons for different people, but I would say, yes, the majority of people who do really well, it's because they had one person that gave them some hope or gave them an open door an opportunity. And they, for lack of a better term, they got addicted to feeling good and, looking good in front of people that they felt might have written them off so that addiction like and great i'm happy if somebody's addicted to working hard because it makes them feel good that's better than what else they can be addicted to but i really strongly want to empower people to focus on their mental health and happiness not just not just what they can do who who they can be because a lot of us I'll speak for myself. I lost my worth, my self-worth, because I put all of my value in what I could do for people and what kind of businesses I could start. And that made me lose myself and not be happy. And I became an alcoholic anyway, even though I conquered meth and helped others and started businesses. So the success is going to be temporary if you're not working on the root causes of the unhappiness to begin with.
1: That's true. Uh, one of the most impressive things to me, and there's so much that's Im- incredibly impressive of what you're doing, but uh, the stat that 20 to 30% of felons get hired straight out of prison. Um, but within 90 days of your program, a hundred percent of the people that are in it have a job. Um, ha- just give me a little insight on what's going on there.
3: Like, yeah. So, yeah, we, um, I think, I wonder where you got, well, probably whenever, where did you get it?
1: I got it from your website.
3: Okay. So because now we don't really necessarily have a program. It's the people who get jobs that are in a program. So we did start out as an entrepreneurship program four years ago. Okay. And that was true. When people got into our entrepreneurship program, um, within, uh, that's what you're looking at. It's the prison entrepreneurship program. So they are a nonprofit that we're partnered with. And yes, they, they teach in prison for nine months. And right when they're released within 90 days, a hundred percent of their applicants do have jobs within, um, 90 days. And most, I do hire a lot of those people. So it was probably an article that you read that we're connected with.
1: Oh yeah. I was reading all sorts of stuff. So that makes sense. Um, so basically, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the membership card you guys have?
3: Yes. So we have a cornbread hustle membership card. Um, it is basically it's, you know, it's nothing more than just a card that makes our employees feel part of something bigger instead of just part, another temp agency. This membership card is more of a symbol than anything else. It doesn't have a scan on it. You can't take it anywhere and scan it like your credit card, but we can send you a text message at any given time that says, Hey, go to, um, let's just say an ice cream place. I don't want to use any brand names, but let's pretend Brahms, go to Brahms and show your cornbread hustle membership card and you'll get a free ice cream, ice cream cone. So it's just, just a small token to show that you're a part of something bigger and that you're part of a club instead of just, you're working at a temp agency. We have workshops all the time that are free and open to any of our hustlers with their membership card, even if we're selling tickets online to the general public.
1: I mean, that's, that's brilliant in my opinion. You know, it's all about, it's just that little extra that takes it from ordinary to extraordinary. So
3: yep.
1: uh, you definitely are building more, um, more of a, just a base of solid individuals that way, I think, and people just feeling like they're a part of something rather than just a piece of something. Um, yes. So what is it uh, about giving a hand up, not giving a hand out? What's that mean to you?
3: Yeah. So we only accept 25% of our applicants. We are not a charity. So we don't say, oh, hey, you need help. We're going to help you because we don't go out and raise money to give away. We have to earn it. And the only reason, the only way we earn money is by placing people in jobs that show up to work and work if we place people in jobs and they do something at the workplace to get fired we could lose the whole entire account and that's a lot of second chance jobs especially if it's one of our larger jobs that hire 50 to 100 people so we're giving a hand up we're saying hey you're going to represent us good and you're going to show up to work every day. That's great. And are you sober? (laughs) So if you can't pass a drug test, we're not giving you a job. That's what I mean by a hand up, not a handout. You're going to have to show some effort and
2: want to work and, um, be respectful (laughs) to represent us. Of course. I want to hear the story behind the name cornbread hustle.
3: So have any of you guys seen the
2: movie Life?
1: Oh, yeah. So I I actually worked at a really popular club in Portland for over a decade uh, called the Boom Boom Room. So very familiar with Life.
3: Okay. Yeah. It has Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence in it. And there's a scene where prisoners are in the chow hall. And this big guy says to um, Martin Lawrence, you gonna eat your cornbread and uh they end up getting in a fight over cornbread and so that's literally how I named the company cornbread hustle
2: (laughs) I was drunk when I started
3: the company so (laughs) in my defense but uh I think it's cute yeah Yeah, I like it it stays now (laughs)
1: You know, one thing that's really interesting about uh, you, in my opinion, is obviously you had a career in TV news industry, which is really cool. But you also invented a tanning bed that went nationwide, like as seen on TV. Um, On top of that, more recently, you did a I think this is you. You did a new software program that helps addicts with sobriety. Is that true?
3: So I did invent a product called Luminous Envy. I did go on as seen on TV. It did um, sell nationwide. So that was like my first little successful patented an idea and brought it to retail. I didn't get rich off of it by any means. In fact, I probably lost money because I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah, I just didn't know how to invent a product, but um, I did partner with a company called freedom 365 and they do have an, a virtual app for recovery and it's available to any of our hustlers if they need it or want it. But that's that's the catch. They got to want it. So um, unfortunately, it's not super easy to get people to to want to invest in their own mental health. And when I mean invest, I mean just the time. So we can't force any of our applicants to do anything. I wish I could say they're all on the app every single night, like taking care of their mental health. But that's still something that I'm working on is figuring out how to implement virtual mental health technology in the workplace and incentivize employees to actually want to use it. To me, nothing beats community and face-to-face. So I'm going to keep trying and see if there's any, you know, I know they have virtual AA meetings. I'm not even willing to Do the virtual meetings because or virtual workouts? That's not me either. So I'm I'm still personally in my personal life and in my company struggling with trying to figure out how to keep community going in a virtual sense.
1: Of course, that sounds very challenging. Um, One of the things that I always wonder too is, you know, you've invented the tanning bed, which is huge. That's something I think a lot of people dream about is kind of developing their invention and then actually turning it into fruition and also uh, most recently we've had marcus bullock who's the inventor and the proprietor of flick shop which is an app uh, a very successful app and now you're doing an app a software program what advice would you give to people that have these concepts or these ideas that you've learned uh, that they might you know that might help them along the path of creating and turning their idea into a reality
3: it's a very good question and i have a lot of answers for it um my first answer is if you believe it in your heart and your soul and your gut, then it is marketable, period. There are so many people out there that want to tell you that won't work or there's already something out there like it. I can't tell you how many people told me, well, on my invention, I did get a lot of negative feedback, but I believed it in my heart and soul. So I went after it. And then obviously second chance hiring, a lot of people were like, you're crazy. You're starting a company banking on the success of felons. And I was crazy, I admit, but, um, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad I knew it in my heart and my soul, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're selling just, I almost said grass. I mean, yeah, that will sell. Um, if you're selling like a pet rock, it doesn't matter if you have passion. And if people just cannot refuse your enthusiasm, then they're going to buy from you. So my first piece of advice is if you know, in your heart and your gut and your soul that you want this, go for it, cancel out the noise, People who will tell you otherwise are usually just projecting their own fears because they're scared they couldn't do it. So they can't picture someone else doing it. They're not trying to hurt you. They're just trying to protect you from harm, especially if it's a family member or a spouse. Um, The other thing that I would say is you don't have to have it all together to get going. A lot of entrepreneurs hold themselves back from launching or moving forward because they don't have everything they need. I remember when I started Luminous Envy, my tanning bed product, I had it in my mind that since I couldn't afford office space, I couldn't launch my product, which is silly. Um, But I think those, those are just examples of us as human beings making excuses not to move forward because we're afraid of failure. So whatever your business idea is, even if you don't have the... A lot of inventors will say, oh, it cost 8000 to get a patent. Can't do it. Don't have the money. Maybe one day. Sigh. So but there's no reason not to start trying to develop a prototype at from home and starting to get validation from people and testing the market and figuring out. I, to me, like, I'm not going to tell someone to just go out there and tell the whole world your idea without getting a patent. But at the same time, If I invented a product right now, getting a patent from my experience would probably be like the last thing that I do. And I know patent attorneys would wanna slice my head off for saying that, but inventing a product and launching a company is so much work. That's why I have no problem telling anybody the secrets to this staffing agency and how I grew it to multimillion dollar revenue because I'm like, cool, you know, all the secrets and I'll go do the work, you know? So I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so afraid of competition and people stealing their ideas that they don't put themselves out there because they don't have money. And i I just hope that anybody listening to this, just forget that self-limiting belief and just go for it.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's great advice. Um, you know, ironically, obviously your cornbread hustle, uh, your core values are eat, Empowerment, accountability, and transparency—what does that mean to you, Sharon?
3: Means to stay hungry. Um, every single person we interview here, we just want to see—are they accountable? Um, well, first of all, are they transparent? So are they being transparent about their crimes? We don't judge them. We don't care what your crime is, but we need to know because we're like a criminal attorney. We need to know what you did so we can advocate for you. Um, And then there's the, the accountability part. If I have somebody in here, there's a difference between being transparent and being accountable. So if you tell me that you have a possession charge and evading arrest. I'm going to say great. And we continue to talk and you tell me that it's because your baby mama was driving the car and it was her dope. Um but you took the fall for it. I'm just I'm probably not going to hire you. Now even if that was true, I still would like to hear that you're accepting accountability for being in that situation or being in a relationship that led to that outcome. But when somebody constantly doesn't accept accountability for whatever has happened or what situation they're in, then I'm not going to hire them because it's not likely that they're going to accept responsibility for showing up to work late every day or quitting their job or failing a drug test. And then, um, empowerment, empowerment's just really important because without empowerment, Like we have to, um, for our internal staff, if they're not empowering our employees to become better versions of themselves, then they're not going to be great employees. So we're we're each other's cheerleaders here and that's how we see empowerment.
1: That's great. Uh, You're currently looking for job seekers and employers. If I'm potentially a job seeker that's out of prison or an employer that's looking to potentially hire someone that's fresh out, uh, how do we go about contacting you or getting involved with this
3: yeah so if you just go to cornbreadhustle.com and if you're a job seeker just click on job seeker and look at all the open positions if you happen to have a really unique skill um like hey i have a master's degree in xyz or i used to be a doctor we get a lot of those if you could if, if that surprises you, but, um, we, we have a lot of people with like really serious, amazing experience in a lot of education. If you're somebody that's like that, then still contact us through the website and kind of tell your story because you never know what kind of employers that we have that you may be a fit for. But, um, if you are an employer, just go to our website and reach out. I I see every single thing that comes through the website because I'm a control freak and I still have not been able to let go of that addictive personality side of me yet. I want to see every single thing that comes through our website. So if you reach out to us through the website, I will see it.
1: That's great. I'd love to hear that. You're still on the ground floor with everything and in touch with all the comings and goings uh in your opinion why is hiring a convicted felon uh potentially the best investment for your startup
3: especially a startup um i tell people all the time especially a startup man i love that you asked that because I, you know, obviously, if you're Amazon hiring felons, it's great because you need a lot of people that will work for entry level pay that won't quit on you because the turnover is so high. But for a startup, man, I mean, think about, let's just say that you are starting a new app and you're, you're in the whole coding, you're trying to get it coded and you, you or spending an outrageous amount on software development, there are plenty of people in prison that do have that kind of experience that would gladly work for entry-level pay to avoid working in the Amazon warehouse because they want to work on their goal and pursue their dream. I have one guy who, he, um, he started working with us at $10 an hour just learning how to code at one of the companies whenever he got out of prison and he was so happy because he was in an office environment, learning from people he wanted to be like. And fast forward four years later, he's making six figures right now because he's so passionate and because he got really good at what he wanted to do. So there's a lot of people out there who don't want to take the only jobs they can get. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to be able to sit in the office with you and learn alongside with you and hone in on their own entrepreneurial goals. So if you're a startup, I highly recommend hiring somebody coming out of prison. However, I've even made the mistake. Now I've gotten a lot better at it, but in the beginning, as you can imagine, I've gone through a lot of uh, lessons learned when it comes to hiring felons. There's a reason why I understand how to vet and screen. It's because I've made a lot of mistakes and, um, there are people that I had to see go back to prison because they did not deserve that second chance and unfortunately did work directly for for me. So if you're a startup, I want to say on one end, like especially hire for second chances, but on the other end, especially be careful who you're hiring because even somebody stealing five ten thousand dollars from you can turn your world upside down so Make sure you're vet vetting and screening. And if you're a startup, one of the main things you want to look for is do they talk to any family members or do they still have friends from before they were locked up? If the answer is no, then you might want to really look into why.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
3: That's anybody, by the way, not just felons. If somebody just doesn't have any friends or family, you really, you're really going (laughs) to want to look into why.
1: Yeah, that could be potentially a red flag for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sherry, uh, I can't thank you enough again for being a guest today. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to have you again sometime. Um, is there anything else you'd like to promote before we end the podcast today?
3: Nope, that's it. Thank you so much. I really, I just really want to say that I appreciate all the research that you did to ask these questions. Not a lot of people are
2: willing to do that, so I really appreciate it.
1: I got but 10 more notes too. We could do it in a whole nother hour. Got time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dick is an incredible researcher. We're lucky to have him hosting this show. I
1: just, You know, I just love doing this show. I think it really benefits everything. There's not one negative aspect attached to it. So the more we can create the narrative and the more that we can uh, just shine things like Cornbread hustle to Light, uh, the better. I mean, this is an incredible thing you're doing. Uh, I think personally, it's, it's absolutely brilliant, just the concept in general but the fact that you're stepping up to the plate and you're really making it happen, especially with your experience with PR and uh, just understanding how to work, um, just the media and things like that. Um, I, I only see really great things. Uh, one last question. I don't know. We only got two minutes left, but um, where would you like to see Cornbread Hustle and yourself like in the next 10 years?
3: I would like to, One vision that I see is packing out the American Airlines Center with a huge concert with um, all in recovery stars like Eminem and Demi Lovato and Elton John. And I just see Cornbread Hustle being a major movement and having co-working space. I hate using the word co-working spaces, but like community buildings that. People have memberships, too, that they can go to at any major city in the U.S., whether they want a cup of coffee or they want to just attend a workshop and keep up with community of people who are the light, you know, they've become the light to help others shine. So I hope to really create a major movement of having empathy for other people and, creating the eat movement throughout the whole United States, whatever that looks like. And whatever that means, if I have to write a book, then I'll write a book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so inspiring. Thank Thank you you. so much for being here, Sherry. This has been a really fun interview. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing it get put out there.
1: As do we Um, once again, Sherry Garcia, founder of cornbread hustle, the websites, dot com. Check it out. Uh, Especially if you're in the Dallas area, it's what's going on. And thank you to Alon and and everyone helping out with Fell in the Inc. podcast. And remember, you can tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on StartupRadioNetwork.com. And until next time, be safe, and we'll see you then. Peace.
0: You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.